Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to Disney Deciphered, a podcast helping you save money, time, and stress as you plan your Disney vacation. On today's episode, we take a detour to the Bay Area and learn about the Walt Disney Family Museum and why any Disney fan needs to go check it out. Final episodes of this podcast, anywhere you find podcasts, and we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a positive review on Apple Podcasts. You can also check us out on YouTube now, youtube.com slash at Disney Deciphered, and we'd really appreciate it if you could like and subscribe to us there. If you're looking for bonus content, Support the podcast at patreon.com slash DisneyDeciphered, where you can get live trip reports. You can also support the podcast at no cost to you by using me as your travel agent. Get started by emailing josephchung at travelmation.net. If you have any questions, email us DisneyDeciphered at gmail.com, tweet us at www.deciphered on Twitter, or find us on Facebook and Instagram, Disney Deciphered. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Joe from As the Joe Flies. And I'm Leslie from Trips with Tykes. And welcome back to Disney Deciphered. For all of our American listeners, we hope you had a restful and wonderful Thanksgiving. We are coming back from the break with a bit of a one-off episode, Leslie. I know we are typically in the parks. If I'm being honest, we are treading water a little bit, expecting these Genie Plus changes to happen. It's going to be... So much fresh content starting in 2024. Actually, you know what, Disney, if if you don't change it, I don't mind not updating the content. It's going to be a lot of work. <laughs> but uh, yeah, For we're sure. going to figure it out. But uh, Leslie, you were uh, recently in San Francisco, and you know, I think it's something that um, big Disney fans might know, but you know, a more casual Disney fan, and even someone like me, who you know, I'm not as into the history as a lot of Disney fans are, don't know. There's you know, a Disney-related attraction. You know, do we want to use the word attraction? But uh, you know, tell us a little bit about your trip to San Francisco and why it's Disney-related. So in San Francisco, there is the Walt Disney Family Museum, and a lot of people don't know about it. I mean, I think certainly Disney geeks have heard about it, and it becomes kind of a must do for a lot of family travelers to San Francisco, but not always because it's a little bit off the beaten path and we'll talk about where it's located, but it is a museum that was founded by Disney's eldest daughter, Diane Disney Miller. And she and her husband, whose name will also ring familiar to those of you who are Disney history fans, her husband was Ron Miller. He was CEO in the mid 80s, right before Michael Eisner took, took over. Definitely sort of a tough moment in Disney history. Walt Disney's daughter, old, eldest daughter, Diane Disney Miller, and he ended up settling in the San Francisco Bay Area. They founded a very famous winery for those of you guys who know Silverado Resort, so up in wine country. So I think that's the reason why San Francisco got this museum. Otherwise, it's sort of like, why is it not in Southern California? But but it's not affiliated, we should mention, with the Walt Disney Company. It is 
created by the family. It's run completely independently. Of course, there are collaborations and things like that, but this is not part of the Walt Disney corporate umbrella. Now, before we talk about this museum and why it's worth visiting, I just want to remind listeners who may not know that Leslie is not only a Bay Area native, but she writes tripswithtikes.com, which has a lot of travel. You know, your kids, I don't think they're tykes anymore, I would say. I know, I'm boarding. I still got an elementary age Almost, kid, but um, yeah, we're getting rapidly approaching, yeah, yeah, approaching yeah. tweens and teens only at this point. Yes, tripswithtweens.com. I don't know that. You, you better you better get that one just, just so it can redirect. But yes, Leslie has a lot of great Bay Area-related content. You know, I find, Leslie, that living in Boston, people always ask me what to do when they come here, and I have, like, no idea. You're the opposite, though. I feel like you're a trusted resource on what to do if you're visiting the Bay Area, except for you can't go see the A's anymore. Oh, geez, Louise, rubbing it in. So, no, I mean, I guess it's because I kind of made it purposeful, and in part because of pandemic-era restrictions in California, I did a lot more local travel the last several years. And, I mean, I'm, I'm only... Gosh, as the crow flies 10 miles from the city of San Francisco, but it's enough of a trip into the city with traffic and things like that and parking that it becomes a bit of a staycation destination. I actually just went into the city two weeks ago just to walk around Fisherman's Wharf and just see what the tourist levels look like, see what safety looks like, because that's obviously the big question everybody has with the doom and gloom on the news channels about the city. Uh, The tourist areas are very safe, and I I think it's worth visiting because it's not so busy right now. And now let's get back to the museum. Now you were saying it's not on the beaten path, which means it's a little further away from the tourist area. So what can you tell us about where it's located? I assume wherever it is, is pretty safe. I'm guessing it's not in the tourist areas, but it's also like not in an area where, you know, it's not downtown, right? Right. So the Walt Disney Family Museum is located in the Presidio, which is part of the Golden Gate National Recreation Area. It actually abuts the entrance to the Golden Gate Bridge. So it's kind of in this, a little bit of this no man's land. I mean, there certainly are no residential areas like immediately adjacent, but if you go straight down Lombard Street, so if you start at the crooked part of Lombard Street and keep going down the busy part of Lombard Street towards the Golden Gate Bridge, like the Presidio is right there off to the left. So easy to get to, it's actually not that far, but it's not like the tourist pedestrian areas of San Francisco, like Union Square or Fisherman's Wharf, things like that. But the Presidio is really cool. I mean, this was the area, this was an an old army base. I mean, this defended the northern part of California. This was the main place for troops for a very, very long time, defending the entrance to the harbor. And I mean, it had a huge role in military history for a very long time. And then in 1994, the army left and it became a national park area. So there's all sorts of national park stuff there too. And the museum itself is converted, a converted barracks, I think. So different buildings that used to be part of the military installation have now been revamped into cool destinations, including this museum. Since we are off the beaten path a little bit, like one thing I have never understood, and I don't know if I've done it except for when I was a kid, but the Golden Gate Bridge itself, the park, and correct me if I'm wrong, do you just go to the park and enjoy the park and then like view the bridge in the distance? We were in Sydney over the summer and people like climb over 
the Sydney Harbor Bridge. I don't think that happens on the Golden Gate Bridge. In terms of an attraction, is it just like where you're located so that you can view the bridge and get those nice pictures? Yeah, and, and stuff people like that? also walk and bike over it. So there are a lot of bike rental companies in Fisherman's Wharf where people will grab a bike and then you there's a pathway that you can take and you can go over the the bike path and people do walk it as well. But I mean, people are always looking for like different vantage points and viewpoints of the bridge, and there are dozens and dozens, but many of them are right there in the Presidio if you want to be on the San Francisco side and you know you get your photos your you know I left my heart in San Francisco photos <laughs> with your Golden Gate Bridge backdrop but but yeah people drive over it I mean and that's like a fun thing to do too like full house style right Joe classic classic and all the e-bikes these days too I'm sure I'm sure that's all the rage in the Bay Area so let's get back to the museum it seems like a pretty modest price how much does it cost? How do you get in? Are there any discounts? Right now, the museum is $25 for adults. There are discounts for you know college students, seniors, youth, kids ages 6 to 17 are $15. So pretty reasonable for an outing, like basically the cost of taking your kid to a movie. And then five and under are free. And then military members are free as well. So that's something to take note of. There are a lot of passes in like major cities. You probably have them in Boston too, Joe. But in San Francisco, there are um, the city pass and then there's a something called the Go City passes. The museum is included on those, but oftentimes the museum's price is so low, like it's not necessarily a good a good value to use your passes on that attraction. So just do the math. I always do. There are probably other better uses of those passes, like places where tickets are like forty plus bucks. So I probably wouldn't use it here. But then there are additional things that the museum offers, like movie screenings and special exhibitions that cost a little bit more. So just take a look at the website and see what you want to see. This is like a not a, a full day's event like attraction this is something you visit for several hours i mean i could spend a whole day there (laughs) you could spend a whole day there but i'm not spending a whole day there when i'm going with my kids because there's only so much museuming that they can do so it's also a smaller museum which means it's not open it's not like seven days a week right it's only open some yeah so it used to be open six days a week before the pandemic but it's cut its hours in part because i think of the reduction in tourism to san francisco Right now, it's open Thursday through Sunday, 10 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. I hope it would eventually come back to be more days of the week because obviously if you're not in San Francisco on, say, like a long weekend, you're going to miss it. But, you know, most tourists are in town during the weekend time. So if you are there Thursday through Sunday, highly, highly think it's worth a visit. Now, you were saying you can't spend a whole day there. So, you know, it's a couple of hours type of thing. I mean, I wonder if... You know, you rent the bike at Fisherman's Wharf, get over there, enjoy the museum, come back. I don't know. So that's a pretty full day. but uh, And you, your kids obviously have to be older to do that. But, you know, let's get to the heart of the matter, the Walt Disney Family Museum. What is the kind of draw? What is cool to see? Wh- what do you go there for? What do you look at? So the museum is just filled with all sorts of personal artifacts, family photos, lots of video, lots of multimedia integrations. And I mean, this museum was founded to showcase Walt's life. So not just the history of the company, but his personal history, his history as a father. Of course, there's so much going on in the museum about what he did creatively, professionally, but this is sort of about the whole picture of his story and his genius, which, um, as you can probably imagine, so many things that were in the possession of his kids uh, are on display there. And really quite a professional crew that runs the museum. I mean, I'm always surprised by how many folks are involved in preserving this, but I mean, this is 
part of the history of Americana. This is the, the collection is is pretty priceless when you consider how important Disney was to entertainment history. So you can see all of these different things. So when you come into the museum, there's a lobby where you buy the, your tickets, and in that lobby. There are all of the awards that Walt Disney has ever won, including the Oscar for Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, the the large Oscar and the mini Oscar. So you can see lots of little things there and you can see furniture from the apartment that Walt had above Disneyland's Main Street USA. So lots of little things that Disney uh, Entertainment and Parks fans are going to enjoy like before you even get in and scan your ticket, which is really cool. So question for you on these awards. They're all walt related right so like anything any awards disney had uh, disney the company i should say had afterwards you know that that's not what you're going to find there it's just stuff that walt disney earned during his own lifetime or the company earned during his lifetime yeah i guess that's right there's nothing more recent that would have been not during his lifetime and but then there are things that are like unique to him not necessarily just movie created or, you know, things like that. Things that are, I mean, Walt had a lot of personal interests, (laughs) a lot of idiosyncrasies, which is what makes the parks so much fun for geeks and weirdos like you and me, Joe. But yeah, so there's, there's definitely some, some nuggets hidden in there that you'll get to uncover even more of his idiosyncrasies there. Now the main gallery, I'm like in my head, I'm like, is this just a longer version of one man's dream? The kind of walkthrough about Disney parks or Disney's dream, Walt Disney's dream, that is, that you can do in Hollywood studios that we always recommend people walk into when they are either want to go see whatever the temporary meet and greet is at the time, or more importantly, to get some air conditioning or stay safe from the elements. So is it like that? Or is it more, you know, I guess, I guess what I would wonder, is it just Disney parks related or is it more about the man himself? It's about the man himself. So I'll just kind of quickly walk through the timeline. It is arranged chronologically. You start with his early life, Marceline, Missouri, obviously he was born in Chicago first and what he started doing. And then, you know, how he started drawing cartoons and even just, I mean, there's, there's there's an ambulance on display in this first room. He was a medic during World War One. So there was, you know, things that had to do with what created him as a human being more than just about the animation or about the parks that he eventually dreamed up. So you see sort of that, that work ethic and that history and his family. And then the next exhibition is when he does make that move to Hollywood. You know, he started drawing cartoons and you see some of the earliest things. And then you, you, you go up an elevator. I love, I love how this works. The, The elevator doors open and there's the Hollywood sign, the Hollywood land sign, because it used to be Hollywood land, Joe, if you don't know that. You really just sort of walk through this, this move that he's made. And one of my favorite rooms is right after you get into the early animations, there's a whole wall of different cells. And then you see the earliest known drawing of Mickey Mouse. I mean, that is uh, something that people take a look at. And my son spent a lot of time looking at an exhibition about Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, which of course uh, predates Mickey Mouse. And because Oswald was lost by Walt Disney due to I'm sure lawyers, I'm sure lawyers are to blame, Joe. <laughs> then he created Mickey and we got the legacy that we have today. So a lot of great things in these early early rooms, some of the cartoons that predate Mickey Mouse. There's an Alice in Wonderland series that he did that sort of was his first big breakthrough. And um, so you'll see a lot of different artifacts related to that. And then after you 
go through all of the early Mickey and early Oswald, things like that, you go into a feature film section, which this is kind of like the heart of what we think of, of the legacy of Walt Disney. You see, you know, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. You see a lot of other early ones, Fantasia, Bambi, Pinocchio. And there are a lot of screens and there are a lot of things that you can interact with. And, and the first time I went to this museum, my son was three and I was like, this is going to be a bust, right? Because I'm with a toddler and, you know, a museum doesn't really <laughs> work necessarily with a toddler, but there's enough going on visually for kids to interact with that. I mean, you're not going to keep them busy all day, like I said, but, but he was enjoying the screens a lot. And these were characters, of course, he had seen at that point. I mean, I don't think I would necessarily take much younger than that, but it worked at age three for my relatively chill three-year-old. Have they updated the, I mean, it's been a while, but everyone's like favorite story is Disney getting Oswald the Rabbit back, trading him for Al Michaels. So, you know, although Oswald the you know, that should be public domain. I, I was just reading something today about how Steamboat Willie Mickey is going to be public domain next year. So that that all being said, I think that's really cool. I also, I do feel like kids, if you have cartoon characters or pictures on a screen, um, unfortunately, like, you know, it's 2023, like any screen kids are going to be drawn towards and they like seeing pictures of things that they know and love. And, you know, with so many years of animation, I'm sure there's a lot that kids can look at. And if, if he enjoyed it as a toddler, that's a great advertisement for the museum to begin with. Didn't you, you like as a older child, how have you felt that he has changed his interaction with the museum? So we just were there again, maybe what a month ago. And so he's now 10 fourth grade and attention spans a little bit longer. He discovered a lot of things in there, especially as someone we had, you know, we go to Disney parks all the time. He saw a lot of nuggets that he wouldn't have seen before. And he really got into, there's a room where they have the silly symphonies. And we had just watched, Disney Plus had just released the skeleton dance this fall on Disney Plus for streaming. And we had, he loved that, loved that. And then he discovered, oh my goodness, there's all these other silly symphonies. And so we're watching a lot of them on Disney Plus. So all of these tie-ins <laughs> to Disney across, across our life, you know, TV, theme park vacations, local vacations. So it, it was great. And he loved seeing that early drawing of, of Mickey Mouse and, but he discovered a lot more about the different facets of Disney, you know, other than just like the current movies and things like that. So definitely got, got some serious payoff at age 10. All right. So uh, rounding out the main gallery, what else is there? You know, I know Disney had, he wasn't he involved in like World War II propaganda and advertisement, you know, it seems like a good person to... <laughs> If I was the if I was the government in the middle of a war, I would definitely get the best animation people out there. So you know how does how does the museum kind of round out his history and his life? Yeah, so the middle part of the museum, an entire gallery about the World War II era, Walt Disney, and I mean he was a very patriotic man. You see this in the flag ceremony on Main Street USA, and you know he he definitely considered it an honor to be able to do that. It it desperately hurt the company. I mean, the war hurt the company, right? Not necessarily him doing things for the United States, but it made things very difficult. It was a big transition moment for the company, but some great little nuggets in there. If you haven't watched Der Fuhrer's face 
go find it on YouTube. There's a video, um, there's a, a, a movie poster of that in, in the exhibit. It's where Donald Duck wakes up and has an interaction with the Nazi army. I mean, it is just a brilliant, brilliant piece. And the way Disney was able to use humor to, you know, make his point about, I mean, very dark humor in a way to make his point about Nazi Germany. And it's one of my absolute favorite pieces of, you know, short films. So go, go take a look at that. I don't think that's ever going to be on Disney plus because, but you can find it on YouTube. I mean, you know, what's funny is I think that the Boston Public Library, every once in a while, they have a room at like the top floor and they have temporary exhibits. And I am fairly certain that I recall, or maybe I was at a different museum, but it was just a kind of look at, you know, there was that film is kind of like the famous one, but I think Disney did some posters as well, just to support the war effort down with Nazis, obviously. I said it a little tongue in cheek, but I think like at the time, and like you said earlier, Walt Disney himself as just a figure in American history was such a big part of pop culture and culture. But, you know, this was a part of his life where it really kind of dovetailed with what was going on in America at the same time. So I do think that stuff is really cool. I have watched that video. It is like, you cannot imagine anything like that being going live today but the fact that it hasn't been scrubbed from youtube is is pretty cool in and of itself and you know again no one likes nazis no no indiana jones taught us that definitely definitely of course world war ii (laughs) so uh, working our way through the rest of the museum thanks for that let me make that little bit of a detour there are a lot of other sections later in disney history a lot of information about his live action films and his films about the natural world, because that's a big part. I mean, we think of Disney animation, but there were so many live action films that were done later in his career and documentaries and things like that, that, you know, lay the foundation for Disney nature and all of the other types of Disney films we know and love today. So definitely spent some time in there, some interactive screens in those sections. And then sort of the, final part of the museum gallery is the theme park era and you have a train on display walt of course was a huge aficionado of trains just like your son joe so you have one of the trains from that he worked on in the museum and then you have the disneyland section and there is a model of disneyland there and that's the one that like theme park people are I just want to stand there for an hour and look at all the pieces of it. And this is not actually a model of Disneyland as it existed in one moment in time. This is the Disneyland of Walt's imagination. So there are different features in this model that maybe necessarily didn't coexist at the same time. But I mean, just if you were to sort of date the model, it's it's early Disneyland. It's not Disneyland today. It's not day one. It's not 10 years later. It's a little bit of a hybrid of all of these things. So it's a lot of fun to just stare at it, see some attractions that have, you know, gone by the wayside, you know, nature's wonderland, the mind train through nature's wonderland and seeing some of the weird, the different positions of like the carousel and the teacups. Those are in different positions than they are today. Definitely. This is like the Disney park geek moment. And I, I did, that was where my son did get impatient because I wanted to stay there and just look at every bit in peace and he'd had enough. <laughs> Yeah, understandable, understandable. So that rounds it out for the main part of the museum? 
Yeah, at the very end of the museum, then the last bit as you're walking out are all of the cartoons that were drawn when Walt died, you know, fairly prematurely and sort of shocked the world because people didn't realize he was ill. So um, that is a moment where I think if you um, have seen all of the, like what he created, it's it's a somber moment because you see, like, you, you wonder what more could have been. I mean, obviously the legacy he left behind was super powerful but what if he had lived 10 years longer and he personally had overseen all of that so that's it but appropriate and fitting fitting end to the museum as it does follow his life so yeah that's the the walkthrough of the main main gallery but as you you know as you probably can imagine there are more bits and pieces of the museum as well that we can talk about. Yeah, so there are special exhibitions like any museum, which are rotating currently. It's cats and dogs. So you got ladies, Lady and the Tramp, 101 Dalmatian, Aristocats. This is, you know, did I tell you that my youngest daughter is a little obsessed with Aristocats having never seen it just because the cats are cute and like to dress themselves up? A very, very true to form for her Cheshire cat, Pluto, et cetera, et cetera. Those are rotating. Now, are there, is there like a theater you can watch movies in? And then I, you know, you have a note here about animation classes. I'm guessing those are one-off things, but that sounds pretty cool as well. Yeah. So there is a theater in the bottom level of the museum. And usually on weekends, they have different screenings and sometimes they kind of go with what the season is or what the special exhibition is there's actually a separate building that dogs and cats that or cats and dogs as you mentioned is in a building that's back behind the main museum the the diane disney miller exhibition hall i think is what it's called so you walk out of the museum and then you go to this special exhibition and the current one runs through june of 2024 so these are usually here for like six months a year sometimes even longer so you have time to to see them and but yeah, movies in the theater that you can see usually on weekends, and those do require often pre-booking. And then the animation classes and special talks. I mean, there there are animation classes weekly for kids who want to learn animation. But then there are one-off things as well. So it's a really cool legacy that's being left to the city and the kids of San Francisco who want to learn more about this as you know maybe a career path or just a hobby. That's pretty awesome, and it sounds like a fun museum now. Like we said, it's probably not going to take a full day. I have already offered my non-Bay Area native random guess as what one can do, renting bikes and then making your way over there. Of course, you could always rent bikes and make your way anywhere. That's the beauty of uh, being in control of your own two wheels. But if you were planning a day or you know, giving people recommendations of what they could do to make a full day of, out of the area, because let's face it, Probably people aren't going to only go just for that. What would you suggest? So like I mentioned, the museum is in the Presidio. So you want to explore more of the Presidio. The visitor center for the Presidio, the National Park Visitor Center, is located just a few steps away from the museum. So you can go and take a look at that and learn about the history of the military base and now the sort of preservation of the area as a national park. My son and I went in there on this last visit and he did the Junior Ranger booklet there, got sworn in as a Junior Ranger. So that's always fun for kids to do. There's a lot of other sites in the Bay Area that are sort of part of the Golden Gate National Recreation Area. I mean, Alcatraz is technically part of the same area. 
things up in Marin County. So there's a lot of national park stuff to do. And I, I love doing that. And my son, I should mention, he's in fourth grade. So at national park sites that do charge admission, and this is not one of them, you can get your kids in free when they're in fourth grade. Just go to uh, the Every Kid Outdoors program. So that's something to keep in mind if you're going to do other national park things. And so generally just walk around the area. I mean, the whole area next to the Walt Disney Family Museum has been transformed in the last couple of years. It's now an area called Presidio Tunnel Tops, where they've built this public park on top of the tunnel that approaches the Golden Gate Bridge, turning it into a green space. So for younger kids, there's like playgrounds and all sorts of national park outdoorsy things to take at. So I um, highly, highly recommend that. The, the play spaces are a lot of fun. And my son's just starting to age out of them, but we, we got some, some use out of them during this last visit. And then one other Disney thing, super Disney geek thing that people should do nearby in the area. Lucasfilms is right nearby in the Presidio as well. And there is a Yoda statue and fountain outside of Lucasfilm that you can go take your picture in front of. And, you know, there's a guard gate, but they let tourists in. So you don't have to worry about that. Just say you're going to take a picture of the of the statue and you can go get your get your shot and geek out on some other Disney property now that Disney of course has bought Lucasfilm. The Presidio Tunnel Top sounds like the big dig San Francisco <laughs> version. So uh, the tunnel was you know, already there and it wasn't a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't take 30 years or whatever it was. I remember when I first moved here over 20 years ago, the Big Dig was still in full effect and people who had lived here for decades and decades were just, uh, but I will say, you know, I did say at the beginning, I never know what to tell people to do in Boston. I do suggest that people visit the Boston Greenway, which is the same idea. It's a green space above a gigantic tunnel, which used to be the Big Dig. Look it up if you don't know what we're talking about. A class... Classic, uh, you know, while we're talking about America, classic American mismanagement of a construction project, the big dig. All right. Well, that all sounds pretty awesome. I mean, it sounds like you could just uh, spend a whole day doing all that and that would be pretty chill. Any kind of the weather in San Francisco, since we're, you know, this is a mini San Francisco episode, it's always so, I guess, variable. Like I, I just remember going in like October once and it was like, it felt like it was like 35 degrees Fahrenheit because just the winds and stuff like that. So any times you recommend going or is it pretty much all the same kind of? It's pretty variable, but if you want to come during the warmest months, usually late August, September are our best months to visit. That's when you're going to get the, the best weather. And the, actually we visited in late September and I always wear layers with my, you know, myself and my kids in the, San Francisco, and we were warm. So highly, highly recommend uh, September, especially because tourists aren't in town either. If you're coming sort of in a non-school break, if you are able to swing that, that's a good time to come. All right. Well, thank you for sharing all that. Let's close things out with our traditional Disney do or don't. So what do you have for us Walt Disney Family Museum wise? All right. So for those of you who can't get to San Francisco or can't get to San Francisco right away, but are wanting to geek out, do go and listen to the Walt Disney Family Museum podcast. They put out a podcast about monthly. And if you like listening to all of like the history vignettes that Jim Hill and, L and Lynn Testa put out in Disney Dish podcast, 
this podcast has like a lot of that because they really dive into the collections of the museums and talk about some of the interesting pieces and do it in a fun and playful way. So go give that a listen, add that to your podcast rotation. I have recently, and it satisfies that Disney geek and Disney history lover in me. Great tip. I'll have to check that out. Well, that does it for this Disney adjacent episode. We'll be back to the parks next week. Leslie, if they want to learn about the Walt Disney Family Museum, Bay Area, or all things travel related, where can people find you on the internet? I am tripswithtikes.com at tripswithtikes everywhere on social media. And like Joe, gave me this lovely plug, lots of San Francisco content that I've updated lately. So if you're coming to the city, I'm, I'm happy to talk to, to folks about that because I love talking about my hometown. Joe, uh, where can folks find you? You can find me at As the Joe Flies over social media, not As the Crow Flies, as you said earlier, for those of you who don't know where that originally came from. I know, Leslie, you got it the moment you met me. But yes, you can find me at As Joe Flies all over social media, Joseph Chung at TravelMation.net if you're looking to plan a Disney cruise or any other vacation. Um, and then, of course, you can find us on YouTube, youtube.com slash at Disney Decipher now. You can also find us anywhere you find podcasts and email us, DisneyDeciphered at gmail.com. Well, Thank you again for sharing your experience. And thank you to our listeners for indulging us on this little detour. We really appreciate everyone listening and appreciate your subscribing. Other than that, Leslie, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. And I will see you starting a new Geek Disney podcast for history. Just kidding. We have no time. Thanks, Joe.